Welcome to the Heart of Life podcast, sponsored by Riverbend Counseling in Colorado Springs. I am Jesse Steffes. And I am Brooke Small. In the last two episodes you joined us, we told you a little bit about ourselves, who we are, and what brings us to this work. Today we're going to be addressing the topic of shame and self-forgiveness, and the difficulty of navigating that path, finding and feeling forgiveness, Mm. and moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. So today our letter comes from one of our members of the community. Dear Heart of Life, I know that there is so much more to this than the following question. However, I'm wondering if you would be willing to provide some input. I see my mistakes that have deeply hurt me and others, and they shake me to the core. How can I stop the shame and self-hatred that sometimes immobilizes me? I'm walking in my faith again after some very difficult times and mistakes. I've asked God for forgiveness, and I know I'm forgiven, but I still struggle with shame and self-hatred at times over what happened and what I let happen. Hmm. What a what a heart-revealing letter. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and you know what's in, not interesting? I think that what's really familiar in it is that I've walked this path and often find myself walking this path mm-hmm. still in spaces where I thought that I had moved on and then it comes up or I'm reminded of maybe the pain that I've caused someone else or pain I've caused myself. And then I find myself moving back into that and having to navigate it again. On that, you know, you and I talked about the feeling of shame and how, how encompassing that can be as an emotion, as a feeling. When I hear this letter, I imagine someone battling pretty consistently, battling daily, mm-hmm. um, and wanting reprieve from, from shame. Yeah. I think initially, as we address this, I'd really like to address it from the point of our writer and that they're moving through a faith tradition that they found mm-hmm. their way back into. And that idea of a God offering forgiveness and giving right. forgiveness. And I want to honor that and that space. Yeah. And I know that in my own experience, there's a difference between knowing that I've been forgiven as a course, as a path. You know, I do this and then I do this and then I'm supposed to achieve forgiveness. Knowing there's forgiveness versus feeling mm-hmm. there's forgiveness. And it is that shame that gets in the way, right? Shame right. shame is the, the lie, the, the voice that tells us that we cannot access that. Mm-hmm. And so we can cycle through where there are days where shame is smaller and we feel it and we know it, but then it gets big again and mm-hmm. that lie gets loud. And so I think what I hear are, are the member of our community that's asking us is how do I then begin to challenge that? How do I, how do I move into a space where I can feel it and not be so paralyzed by shame, by that lie? Right. The, the way that you described that made me think of, you know, process, like, like we've talked about, there are these steps that we know, especially within faith traditions, we have these steps that we know have a certain outcome. And when we've moved through those steps, we can experience a secondary shame when they quote unquote, don't work mm-hmm. in remedying that feeling of shame. Mm-hmm. 
And so if I believe all these things, if I know all these things, if I've asked all these things and I still feel this awful, what have I done wrong? <clears throat> have I not moved through the process properly? Right. Yeah. And I think what I, what I want to offer this, this letter writer as well, this member of our community, is an idea of allowing themselves some freedom from what their redemption or their feeling of forgiveness or their knowing of being forgiven or moving through something can look like, mm -hmm. that it's a, as unique to them as it would be for anybody else. When you and I t both talk often about the idea that you can hold two things in the same space, right? Right. That you can hold, you can hold the the feeling, the sense that you have been forgiven, and you move, you've moved through that process, whether that's with your God or whether with people in your life right. that your choices or decisions have impacted, or both. And at the same time, you can hold on to a sense of regret or grief that is associated with that. And often we get shame mixed up in regret and grief. Mm -hmm. And those are different things. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important for us today to talk about those as very specific things. Shame is something that tells us that there is something fundamentally wrong and flawed with us that cannot be changed. And, and it, it has to do with our personhood. Yes, it keeps us small and it keeps us from real intimacy. Yeah. And there's some function in that, right? If, if shame can keep me small, then I don't have, ever have to worry about being hurt or hurting others. But the problem is we don't ever attain intimacy or true connection if we aren't willing to put some right. risk out there, right? To right. put ourselves out and take that risk. And so there's shame that tells us that, but then there's also the really real and important feelings of regret and grief that are yeah. associated with our experiences and choices in the past. Mm -hmm. And those are things that inform us, right? And as I hear her talking about looking back on past mistakes or choices and seeing how they hurt her or others, mm -hmm. what what I'm also hearing in that is just grief. Yeah. And you and I have talked about grief as being something that we don't get over, but it's something that we learn to move through and with. Right. Well, in that dialectic that you talked about, right, that's the word we have for holding two things at once is, is being in a dialectic of I feel this and this, and they feel so opposing. Believing I'm forgiven and also feeling like, I'm sad on a daily basis or I'm grieving on a daily basis that this thing or these things have happened and it's, it feels like it's fundamentally changed who I am and maybe my life. How do we hold both of those as equally true but keep moving? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I'm thinking too that when we, when we let regret inform us, it can help us to make different choices. But if we stay in regret so long that we never make any new choices, then it hasn't really become information. It's become a straitjacket. Mm -hmm. We can't move forward and try new things and make maybe what we would consider to be better choices. I remember my mom telling me once that if you continue to look in the rearview mirror, you're bound to crash, right? And that's the idea is if I'm always looking back and always sitting in regret, right. I will crash. That I will be paralyzed. I will be stuck in this space of not being able to move forward with my life. And you and I talk about that idea of dead energy. Yeah, There's energy there, but it's a restrictive energy. It's not moving. Right. Whereas if we can see that and we can say, okay, 
this cannot be changed, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the idea of forgiveness, is being able to say and give up on the idea that you could ever change what happened. Right. When we do that, then that allows us to shift that energy. Yeah. Looking back is never going to make that different. Right. But being able to say, what have I learned? Who have I become? How do I want to be? And then creating live energy, right? Mm -hmm. Creating something that can move us toward thriving. Right. And I think grief plays a huge part in that because grief not only points us to what we've lost, but it also underlines Mm -hmm. what is most important to us. Right. And if we can learn to pay attention and get curious about that, I'm curious at if our if our letter writer were to say these are the things that hurt the most, mm. what values are those pointing you toward? Right, right. Well, we also talked about the idea too that healing happens in community, and I think when we're healing, even from something that we feel responsible for. That has to happen in some ways outside of ourselves, but in safe ways outside of ourselves. Um, This doesn't happen where we engage in more shame with other people or authorities who, um, you know, propose to us that we must suffer a certain amount. That is not what we're talking about here. But the type of community we're talking about is we we talked about making amends and doing that throughout how we live our life. Mm -hmm. So the idea of you don't, th- this process doesn't just look like, okay, let me make, make good within myself and move on. It's a really healthy process of figuring out how to move towards the people you believe you've hurt and be able to have genuine apology there, but then also move forward regardless of what their response is. And to not expect, like you said, for it to happen in one big bump that, okay, now this is over with, I never have to feel about it again. Mm-hmm. But on a daily basis, maybe I am re-forgiving self. Then on a daily basis, I'm re-amending and rebuilding trust if maybe that's what was broken. Well, and what what would change if instead of on a daily basis, we were thinking, today I have to make up for what I've done? Yeah. What if instead of thinking that, we thought, today I'm in the process of becoming and I'm setting an intention to move through the world in this very specific way. Right. right. In the 12-step program, there is a concept of living amends. Mm-hmm. And living amends is built into the program because there's an understanding that not everyone is going to be receptive to that. And even it could even be more harmful for us to approach people who we have hurt or who have been impacted by our choices to approach them in the same way that we might apologize otherwise, mm-hmm. right? Where where we can, we should, but if it causes more harm, then we move through with this idea of living amends, right. where we make a decision from that time forward that we're going to move through the world in a different way, not as a way of punishing ourselves, and it's not as I'm going to move through the world every day with shame to make up for having done this thing, it's saying today I choose mm. to move forward on this path and become, mm-hmm. right? And to to really embody who I want to be and how I want to be in this world rather than maybe how I learned to be in the right. world. Which as you say it that way, Brooke, it makes me think how much pressure is released from those who love us and maybe those who we are amending with 
when that process is a process, right? And we are moving and growing and becoming, it eases up from us in this way of like a final moment where shame will no longer, you know, exist or where this relationship will feel the same again. And that's, I think, something that this letter writer might benefit also from having land on their heart is that things don't have to get back to how they were before the mistakes you feel you made occurred. You are allowed and you are deserving to have a new stable and a new being and a new type of relationships with others. We can't go back and make things how they used to be, but we can move forward and make things whole and well and beautiful and liberated, right? We can make meaning of suffering, but I think letting go of the, this is bad because it's not the same as it was before is, is really important. Well, and and that's when we talk about moving through grief. Well, Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that we talk about. I, I cannot bring back what I have lost, right? Whether that's symbolic or, you know, the loss of a person. I cannot go back and bring that back. And if I spend my time trying to somehow make that happen, I lose myself. Mm -hmm. The same is true when we have, when we have hurt others, when we have made mistakes, there is a grief there. There Mm -hmm. is a loss, but you and I have talked with every loss is a liberation. And so what in that did you liberate in yourself to shift and change in them? Yeah. Which I'm, I'm thinking of looking at liberation from something that I feel is a mistake I made would feel like a really radical idea. That feels really, really radical when we're used to what our world tells us responses to mistakes should be, which is punishment, right? And discipline and maybe even, um, you know, asking someone to, to be out of our space or ostracizing them, excluding them. And so the idea of saying in every experience, you can find something that was liberated there feels radical. What are some, I'm thinking about, you know, if I were the letter writer, I'd want to know what are some of the ways that I can start looking at what potential liberations can come from this. One of the things that I talk to my clients often about is that when we're in a space where we have hurt others or we have moved in a way that doesn't really feel authentic to who we are, congruent to our our real knowing sense of self, it's usually because we're responding in a way like how we learned to be versus Mm -hmm. who we are. Right. And there is a process that has to happen there. We can't we can't just jump into what did I learn and what did I liberate. That's too we miss a lot of the messy middle and the dark that we have to go through. Yeah. Which we have to go through. Yeah. But on the other side of it, we can begin to look and say, what, what was I reacting to in that? Mm. And how does that relate to how I learned to be safe enough, secure enough, good enough? Mm. And then how is that different than who I am? Mm. Because if there's a, if we learned to be a certain way, we can unlearn that. Mm -hmm. We can move closer to who we are at our core. But it's through mistakes and it's through falling down that we start to pull away from how we learned to be and move Mm -hmm. closer to who we are. As you described it that way, it made me think about the idea of living more aligned with our values and less in our fear. 
And it made me think about the idea of when, in times in my life where I've made really big mistakes, like mistakes that feel like they're shaking, they're shaking me to my core, right? Like this letter writer says, and they're changing my character, like things I feel deeply ashamed about. I can trace back and recognize the need I was trying to meet when I made that mistake. And that takes a lot of self-compassion because it still might not make what I did okay, quote unquote, but it can help me understand why this behavior that doesn't fit in me, this thing I've done or these things I've done, don't sit well in my soul. It helps me understand better if I can see you were really afraid in that moment, mm-hmm. right? Or you were longing for connection, right? Or you were you were deeply, deeply alone. Mm-hmm. Whatever the need is, then we can kind of make sense of the behavior or the action or, you know, what we're calling here the mistake. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that, again, is separate. It's moving away from shame because shame, again, tells us who I am is deeply flawed. That's right. And it moves to a place of having self-compassion and saying, what I was experiencing was so painful and the way I moved through it caused more pain, but I don't have to continue to do that. There's a part of me I can heal. That's right. And as I heal that, I can move in the world in a different way. Right. I know for me, when I have behaved in ways that I regret, that I wish I could change, every time I can point to fear. Mm. every time I can point to fear and what it looks like to other people is anger or rage but what's under it is so much fear yeah and even though I wish I could change that I wish I could do that again I can also have so much compassion for myself because I didn't know what else to do I felt stuck I felt scared, I felt powerless, I felt helpless, Mm -hmm. and so alone. And those are things that I can attend to. Right. If I move through the world with shame, wishing and wanting to change that, and believing there's something fundamentally flawed in me, I won't ever look at those things because those cause more fear. Right. Right? Why would we want to? Right. (laughs) Yeah. But instead, believing there's an inherent goodness there mm-hmm. and, and saying, what was it in that moment? Mm-hmm. What was it in those moments? Mm-hmm. Why did I choose to numb that way or behave that way or isolate that way? Mm-hmm. What kind of love did I need that I wasn't getting? Right. And those, you know, talking practically about the function and the... the the benefit in some ways of regret allowing us to collect data when we can look back and see something like, oh, I can trace it back to fear, or I can see I had this unmet need. Moving forward, when I feel that need arise, I can notice then, right? I can notice then and try to intervene differently. And that's one of the ways where we can move towards growth and shifting and being able to separate out the shame, right? Pull the shame out and look at, can my actions be different? Because it was my actions in the first place that were Mm -hmm. the mistake. It wasn't my being that was. Mm -hmm. And that can really, in narrative therapy, we call that externalizing the problem. 
And sometimes we get reactions from that of like, I can't externalize it. It means I'm not dealing with it. Absolutely not. When we externalize something, it means we can look at it more clearly. And so we might call the problem the problem and imagine it across the room so that we can then talk about it. So if the problem is loneliness, if the problem is fear, fear just came in the room, what do we want to do this time that's maybe different than the last time fear came? Mm -hmm. How do we want to move different that's more aligned with our values? Mm -hmm. And going back to our letter, Mm -hmm. she's talking about shame showing up in the room. Yep. Shame showing up in the room. And right now in the way the letter's written, written, um, the way that I am hearing it, shame is a part Mm. of her Mm -hmm. so talking then about how do we just notice that shame has shown up yeah well there it is again yep there it is again i wonder why it's here Mm -hmm. maybe it's because i have this opportunity to really stretch myself Mm. and create community and there's a part of me that's scared and shame showing up to keep me small or maybe shame's showing up in the room again because I have this I have this chance to do it differently but mm-hmm. I'm afraid I'm going to make a mistake. Yeah. Right? So even then it's that idea of to- holding two things at once. I want to move through the world differently and shame has shown up again. Okay. Mm-hmm. Instead of being afraid of shame, instead of believing shame will be a constant companion, let's just say shame's shown up in the room again. Yeah. How do I want to move through this? Right. Shame is not me. Nope. And shame doesn't have to be something that we are trying to slay or battle or fight. I think sometimes we believe that when shame enters, we have to put on our full armor and talk, you know, to talk to it and be mean to it. And shame believes that it's there for a reason, right? If we gave shame some personality traits, I think it's, it's maybe a little darker and mopey and obnoxious and says some awful things, but it's, it's there. And so how can we relate to it and talk to it and say, I know you believe that you're here for a reason. And I know you will, you believe you will keep me safe, Mm -hmm. but I have an opportunity right now to share my story with someone I believe loves me. And if you stand between me and sharing my story, I will not have closeness. So I need you to sit down. Right. And that conversation, right? Right. Or I have an opportunity to feel forgiveness. And I know that's scary and tender. Yeah. But it's okay. You can stay here. Yeah. But understand I'm going to move through this. Yeah. Right? It's, again, going back to the beginning of our conversation, that idea of dead energy versus live energy. When we spend our energy fighting shame, Hmm. that's dead energy. Yeah. Right? That's energy that doesn't take us anywhere. Yeah. But when we spend our energy noticing shame, yeah, it's here again. Mm -hmm. It might be here for a while. Yep. And then shifting our focus and changing our intention to, but I want to move through the world differently. Right. And here's how I'm going to do it today. It's always the next right thing. Yeah. Right? Instead of thinking, I'll be okay, I'll be healed when shame doesn't show up anymore. How about we say, hey, shame's going to show up for a while, and I'm going to do the next right thing. Okay. And I'm, I'm whole enough to not let it become a barrier between me and what is important to me. And for this letter writer, a big part of that is her faith, Mm -hmm. right? And feeling forgiven and loved by her God. Mm -hmm. You can uninvite shame from between the two of you. You can remove it from your relationship there. Yeah. That's your birthright. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. We 
we consider this sacred space when, when you open up your heart to us. And we're so grateful for it. If you would like us to walk with you, if you have something that you'd like to ask us, you can submit your questions or letters on our website at riverbendcolorado.com. Click on the podcast link. Everything is anonymous. You can add some information if you'd like us to notify you that we will be talking about your letter, but otherwise it's all anonymous. We're so happy to walk each other home. Thank you for letting us walk you home. Thank you.